Fulhamish is back for the season by Labrooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Fulhamish Extra, your extra dosage of FFC content from the independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Jack Collins and I'm joined today by Farrell Monk. Jack Shamash. Drew Heatley. Hello. And Dom Betts. Hello, hello. We are here thinking about Watford. We're going to have an interview later on with Mike from the From the Rookery End podcast. And we'll be talking to David Lloyd from Two Fifth as they career towards their 30th anniversary. So congratulations to everyone there. But first of all, we're going to be talking about Watford. Before we get on to it, just a reminder that Fulhamish is backed this season by Labrooks. And for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. And while you're at it and we're doing admin, please, 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 if you haven't already, go onto your Apple iTunes and give us a rating. We really, really appreciate it. It helps us to be bumped up to other Fulham fans and helps us to sort of work our way through those charts. So if you're listening and you haven't done that already, please, please, please do that. We would massively appreciate it. On to the tricky Hornets. Watford lost against Man United this weekend after spending the first part of the season with a perfect record and they look rejuvenated under Javi Gracia, who finally got his own pre-season. That's, this is the first time since 2013 that Watford have started a season with the manager that finished the last one. That's wow. nuts. That's insane. I, uh, I picked him as the first manager to get the sack as well, so uh, more for more Javi for Gracia. Yeah. Garcia, I think he is. Yeah, yeah Garcia. Yeah, yeah Garcia, yeah. yeah. Um, Dom, Gracia obviously had a good time in Spain and was off, was seen as kind of another continental Watford manager, but is defying those expectations. Well, yeah, and I think he's he's clearly done something over pre-season to not only sort of change the team, but gain the respect of the players, because last season they sort of just stayed up by default, in yeah, a way. They were like, worse teams. Yeah, they were, yeah. They, were the three, they were three worst teams in the league, but picked like when we stayed up in the championship for two seasons. But I think he's, there's definitely, it's definitely changed. I think Deeney's come out and spoke about how, how he's been disciplining the side. It's not quite RB Lives, a disciplining player where Ralph on it just spins a wheel and whatever it lands on is your punishment. Um, I think, but he's, yeah, he's definitely changed something. And they, 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 Deeney specifically looks rejuvenated and yeah. a, a different player. He, he, spoke, he spoke obviously how much he, he, how he wasn't rated under Marco, under Marco Silva and, yeah, I, I'm, I, I like I like I like what Watford have done. They sort of, they they haven't just come up and just tried to stay up by default. They are trying to push on, and they they're not necessarily changing their style, but they're they're slowly progressing under a manager for once. They're not just having a manager for a season, let him go, new manager, let him go. And yeah, um, Watford, I, I mean, I've been very impressed with them uh, so far. Yeah, I think when you can, uh, you know, you look at Chelsea at the top of the table who can keep swapping the manager, swapping the manager and they can gain success, it's because they can buy whoever they want. But I think a club like Watford are now realising that actually, you know, uh, you can if you can build something and you can take your time over the course of one, two, three or more seasons uh, and you can build something and it, it's going to, you know, pay dividends for you. And I think they're seeing that in the first five games. Well, yeah, because there's, there's, no, there's no form of progression if you just keep changing managers every year. You're going to have different styles. I mean, Walter Mazzari... I mean, why? That was a bizarre period. That was just that was just, really. that was just a bizarre period for English football in general. Like Walter Wazari was odd. I mean, he didn't really offer anything to them. I don't think he's really offered much in his managerial career in general. But I think yeah, Javi Gracia is probably the the best manager they've probably had since Kike Sanchez Flores. Yeah. And I guess Marcus Silva had had a good start. 
but as soon as Everton came came calling for him, he obviously just totally lost it. Well, I think they're probably just re- relying on Richarlison, really, those first five or six games where he was just banging them in for fun. But, you know, maybe um, Gracia just seems to be a bit more of a... Um, better man manager it sounds like well, Troy, Troy Deeney came out in the week and was talking about Marco Silva that he would he Troy Deeney would score a goal or two in one game and then Marco Silva was like yeah well done today and then he would get dropped for the next game and then he wouldn't he'd go to the manager and ask him oh what have I done wrong and he's like no no keep doing what you're doing and just well, wouldn't give him a reason you, you why speak he speak like management Rooney came out yesterday about him wanting to become a manager after he's finished his playing yeah. career and he was spoken about it's, being a manager is as important being how it is tactical and training is it is being a great man manager because it is if you can't control your squad and you don't have the respect to your players and you don't keep most of them happy at the same time you're not going to do well at the club because they're just going to oust you out like which always happens at Chelsea and obviously I think yeah I think Grassi is definitely a different option and Dean has come out and said that Look, I think there's something to be said and and this is a simplification potentially an oversimplification but they play a dogged 4-4-2 with a big man and a little man up top, there's something more than well, I similar call about. I wouldn't a little man, but he's a quick player. He, <laughs> yeah, he runs the channel. He's quicker than Troy Deeney. There's there's a sort of more than a semblance of a Roy Hodgson side about this Watford team. They you know they play a very rigid system that plays to their strengths and they're better as a unit than they are in, you know on their own. Yeah, let's put, it's, it's, it's a bit like a Hod- it's Hodgson where a bit continental flair into it. Yeah, of course. But in that regard, they're not going to be naive. They're going to be, you know, very well drilled. They're going to look to exploit the mistakes that Fulham made. And we only have to look back at that Palace game to see that this is not by any means going to be an easy an easy fixture for Fulham. And they've got, when you look at their starting eleven from the last game, there's, exper- there's Premier League experience all the way through. That, like, talk about it as a new manager. It's largely exactly the same team as it was last year. If you actually, if you actually look at the starting eleven, it's got bags of Premier League experience. From um, if you look at the last game, I don't think there's a single player that wasn't there last there's year. One Ben Foster they brought in. At, yeah, it's at goal in goal, and he is the only change to the side that that was there at the end of last year. Exactly. That speaks volumes. Yeah, he's obviously a very decent coach. He's had a whole preseason to work with near enough the same amount of players, and they they seem like such a better team now from the from the games that I've seen of them he seems to be bringing the best out of players that potentially were not getting the best out of them you know the, the best example I can think of is Will Hughes who obviously was a bit of a superstar at Derby and then made his big move and was basically just kept out of the team by Tom Cleverley which is never a particularly good look if you want to become you know more than just an average centre midfielder there is that element about it and bringing it as more of a team Drew than, than it is maybe about individuals yeah and yeah, and Jan Matt as well is another one who's uh, who's been rejuvenated down at Vicarage Road um, I quite like Watford uh, and I like the midfield I think they've got quite a nice balance there they've got some sort of grit and they've got a little bit of flair as well uh, with obviously Perea's banging in the goals but they've got Capoue uh, uh, who's a bit of a can be a bit of a shithouse so they've got that balance there and I think um, I think on Saturday midday uh, 12.30 I think the, the game's going to be decided on the flanks I think uh, they can get Watford get some goals from their fullbacks. Uh, certainly, a lot of chances from their fullbacks, and obviously, we like to play uh, with our with ours as well. So we need to get that right because uh, I think that uh, a lot of the key battles are going to be on uh, on either side. Yeah, because they they it's not really a four four two they play. They play more of a four treble two. If you see, yeah, okay, if, yeah. if you look at Pereira and mm, Will Hughes in behind, just outside. The, yeah, the, the two forwards. And also, we spoke about four. But Jose Holabas 
Yes. It's been phenomenal this season. Yes, very good. So where, where has he come? Like obviously, I remember when he was at Olympiacos and he was he was doing really well there, and he didn't do too well for Watford last season. But this season is just totally different. Like player, he's, I don't know where he was, where he's come from. Craig Kafka at the back, so he's obviously going to be solid. They got Nathaniel Shalaber on the bench, who's coming back from a serious injury. So they've got they've got a very very good solid side. Delafeo. Yeah, they've got Delafeo, mm. who's coming out injured. I mean, Tom Cleverley, he's always going to add creativity in midfield when he's back as well. So they've got a solid side with solid Premier League experience in there. So I think, yeah, we were looking at this game, oh, we need to win here. And I'm looking at it, I was like, oh, they've won their opening four games. And obviously, Everton away the week after, and that's never going to be easy, knowing <laughs> our record there. So, yeah, this game is vitally important. And obviously, they, they obviously lost to Man United when they could possibly got a, a point out of that oh, game very, much, very yeah. easily. Oh, but for a De Gea masterclass yeah, at the end, they should have done ex- that. Exactly. I think. Ben Foster described him as the Messi of goalkeepers after the, after the game. Yeah. It, was, it was that good. So I think it's going to be a very, very tough game, but it's a game we need to get something from. Where will we find joy? Where is there joy to be found in in this Watford side? I think I think down our left-hand side. Because, uh, yes, Daryl Yamat has been been good, but he's not exactly the quickest. He's, he's, the, he's the weaker fullback, I think. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's getting him... When Daryl Yamat is going forward, it's getting him behind him. And I think... Mm. It's, it's going to be in the wide position because as we said they play this 4 treble 2 sort of system if they're going to continue system playing against Manchester United and obviously so you're not going to have Hughes and Pereira necessarily properly out wide so I think for us to have success in this game it's going to be taking advantage of the wide opportunities we get which we don't necessarily always do so I think the fullbacks are going to be vital and for me I would start Fosu Mensa just to get, add that physicality in yeah. and then at left back I, I'm not bothered whether it's Brian or Sessegnon, but for this game, yeah, yeah, for this game, I think they both offer very similar roles, and I think, yeah, as I said, I think it's in the wide position, and I think it's it actually is maybe possibly about Vieto and Scherler getting a bit further out wide as well, yeah, not because I because th- because well, well, the- Watford are so sort of narrow centric that if we if they push out wide, they're going to be more effective. I, I've 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 got to slightly disagree with you I th- in, in that regard because because their wide players are. So they're actually quite wide. The only one I would say is a bit different is Will Hughes does tend to come in a little bit, but then he does whip in a very good cross. I think that if our fullbacks and and bomb on as much as possible and do what we usually do and kind of flood that midfield so it leaves the gap out for our for our fullbacks to get there, I think that's where we're going to get some joy, especially if we if Scherler and Vieto tuck in. The fullbacks wouldn't know what to do. So it gives the wingers, pegs them back a little bit and therefore... Will be less. Um, I also think it's, it's obviously not about. Counter. I think it's a bit of both as well. I think we're going to have to switch it up. We can't just sort of play the same system throughout this game. I think there needs to be others. Yes, there's sometimes they're going to need to be out wide, but as you say, sometimes also going to need to flood the middle of the park. I think sometimes we get caught out because we just keep trying to do the same thing over and over again and doing it, doing it, and doing it, and doing it till it works. So I think in this again, it's a team like Watford. You're going to have to be trying multiple different things well let's hear from the opposition camp Sammy was talking to Mike from the from the Rookery End podcast and he started by asking whether he thinks Watford can get back to winning ways on Saturday this game is is really interesting for us I think because we were talking about it after after the United game and of course there was an incredible amount of media attention on Watford in in that build up there's the international break so there's two weeks extra to talk about the Premier League and um, we're sort of back to the bread and butter now, Watford. The, the bubble's been burst to a degree, although losing to, to United is, although they're not still at the peak of their powers, I don't think it's it's any disgrace, especially with the, the second half performance that Watford turned in. I think we were probably unlucky not, not to get a point. But, you know, that unbeaten record is gone. We have lost at home. 
Um, and now it's back to the back to the bread and butter, and it'd be fascinating to see how we do against a side who, at the start of the season, you put kind of in the same same bracket as us. Before we go any further, of course, it's a great opportunity for us Watford fans to say a massive thank you to Slav, because we haven't seen him since since he got us promoted, and he has a special place in in all of our hearts at Watford. So everyone's uh, very excited to see him, and he's guaranteed a very warm welcome from the. Uh, from the away fans. Well, that was but, uh, my next question. Obviously, uh, Slavisa facing his old club. He had a small time in Israel in between, but there wasn't really much time before uh, between him taking Watford up and then joining Fulham uh, just the season after. You were mesmerising that season. When you came to Craven Cottage, it was actually the start, really, I feel, of your promotion run when you came to us. You hadn't been particularly great up until then. You won 5-0. You absolutely battered us. Gabor Karai had an absolute mare in goal for Fulham, I seem to remember. What are your memories of Slav that season? His ability to change a game, I think, his bravery and his and his confidence in, in using the squad. I remember one particular game where he made a sub. I think it might have actually been that pivotal game away at Brighton where he actually secured the title. He made a substitution after 20 minutes. He was very brave. Um, he, he, he just, but overall, the memories were just fabulous. He was um, wholehearted. He was, um, he was just great. He was just, I can't, I haven't got the superlatives. Uh, we're talking, what is it, nine o'clock in the morning? I haven't got the thesaurus out to um, crank my brain into gear to to do credit to Slavin and how important he was to us that season because he didn't get the full season, um, but he got the best out of that that squad of players. Um, he was he was able to turn games around when things weren't going going our way and he got the consistency that you need from it well as you guys know to get out, out of the championship um so yeah he got us playing really good football goals were flying in all over the place and ultimately we ended up uh, in the premier league and we haven't looked back so yeah just a massive vote of thanks to to slavin he, he just got us purring like you say that 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 season it was it was it was one of the most memorable seasons in uh, in recent Watford history certainly and, and largely down to, to Slavisa. Do you see him going on to really great things as a manager? Because I'm adamant. I'm adamant that after Fulham, and I know that time will come eventually, he's going to join a big club and it's going to be a, a huge success for him. I just think the sky's the limit. His managerial ability is that highly regarded amongst definitely us and it seems like you guys as well. Yeah, it's great. And I think that I think he tactical now is is something and I think the players respect him, don't they? And they yeah. uh, and he gets the supporters on board, um, possibly because he looks like a, a, the most terrifying hitman in uh, in history. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think I think he gets people very much like Javi Gracia at Watford. People respect him. People fall in behind him and you get the whole club. You get the whole um, sub substructure, if you like, the whole of of everything, the, the whole orbit around your football club seems to be seems to be behind Slav when he gets things going. So in that regard, I think, yeah, I do wonder how how he's regarded outside perhaps Fulham and Watford circles. Whether he's still um, whether people take much notice. To to be fair, um, so it'd be interesting. To, I, I agree with you. I think he could take a bigger job. He did I kept an eye on him when he moved to Fulham, and I don't know the reasons behind it, but it was a relatively Slow start, wasn't he? he? Had a difficult, difficult start. To yeah, his, lots his of factors. Didn't, didn't quite go his way from the get go. So it'd be, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see him um, get a decent job because I think he, not that he hasn't got a decent job already, of course. But <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and, you know, one of, a crack at the, one of the big boys. I just wonder whether he's on on the radar. I wonder whether you know when United are looking for their manager or PSG or Juve or whoever, whether he's whether he's quite in that bracket. And because it's you know it's the age old story Watford Fulham 
still relatively unfashionable clubs and do managers, head coaches, players from, from our clubs get, get in, involved in the conversation? I'm not sure. And personally, part of me quite likes that. I think it's, it's nice that we've got our own little, uh, our own little secret in it. Exactly. Uh, let's talk about some of your players. I mean, Watford, by a lot of people, were tipped to be in and around the relegation spot. I'm not saying that you won't be. You've had a fantastic start, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I've got a lot of time for much of your squad. Now, everyone loves to go on about Troy Deeney and uh, his fantastical physical presence up front. But for me, love Etienne Capu. I think he uh, is such a brilliant, brilliant player. Uh, and for me, Will Hughes is someone that... I've always had my eye on ever since his Derby County days. And I really thought he was a, a cut above championship level whenever he played uh, for them. Uh, who are the players that really make this Watford team tick in your eyes? Well, I will just pick up on Troy and, he, and you talk about his physicality. Um, I think it's worth saying if you, the, the stats have been banded around a little bit this, this week, as he'd been mentioned in the, in the England frame. But the amount of assists that, that Troy creates and the, the chances he creates is is something else. And that's not just down to his his physicality. He's a, he's he's matured as a footballer over the probably over our premiership sort of um stint. He's he's improved a great deal and he, there's more to Troy than just that sort of battering round that people like like to think and, and like to pigeon him pigeonhole him as. So I know that's not what you were suggesting, but I think it is worth saying that yeah, there's yeah, probably yeah. a li- a little bit more to Troy's game than than people might um uh might expect. The two guys you mentioned there, I mean Will Hughes is absolutely what an incredible player and a couple of million quid from Derby, an absolute snip. I think we benefited from Will Hughes's unfortunate um, record with injury. I think if he hadn't had those two serious injuries at Derby, I think it's almost certain that, uh, that a top six club would have, would have picked him up because anyone who's seen him knows what a great player he is. He's tenacious, um, he's hardworking, he's tough battling. He looks very slight, but he's actually incredibly tough and, and hard to get off the ball. And he can he can pick an incredible pass. He gets you moving from front to back, uh, and he can score goals as well. He's got a shot on him. If, if those of you that saw the the game away at Burnley on match of the day, he, he slammed one in from from twenty yards. So Will Hughes is, is an incredible player. Etienne Capou, another one that you mentioned, vastly underrated. I think on his day, Etienne Capou is probably one of the best Premier League um, midfielders uh, in in the division. However, I think as with most players at a certain level, has he got the mental aptitude to to take it to the next level, to be consistent week in, week out? We've seen it at Watford. The answer is no. He does. He tends to start games very, very uh, start seasons very positively, and then when the going gets a bit harder, when suspensions kick in, when uh, we haven't got our first starting eleven due to injury, when it's cold, he he seems to go off the boil a bit. Um, but a great player. Um, in terms of who's really making us tick this year, Bobby Pereira is one who uh, has really caught the eye. He, he started the, the season in um, goal-scoring fashion. He, he's got two or three goals this season, and he's an absolute Rolls-Royce of a player. You know, he's played at Juventus. He's got Champions League um, experience, so he glides around the pitch, and he can he can cause real difficulty for, for defenders. He's really difficult to to pin down. So he's one I'd certainly keep an eye on. His, his uh, midfield... Um, partner uh, Abdullah Dekora is another one that probably people know know a lot of. Um, I think when you see him in the flesh, you'll realise what a what a good player he is. Mm. Just gets around the park, puts a lot of effort in, and he's another one. Tough tackling, long legs, rangy, difficult to get the ball off, uh, difficult to get past. He wins the ball back, but he can pick a pass as well, and he's got a shot in him as well. Um, so I think the thing about Watford is we've always had a good squad. We've always assembled players with good pedigree. Um, 
but that perhaps that slight question mark over them, whether it's injuries, whether it's a bit of mental application, and that's ultimately why that's why they end up at Watford. But we've always had a very very good squad, and the, the difficulty we've had is melding them together and getting them to perform on a on a consistent basis. And much like I said about Slav, how the the club and the fans and the staff and everyone rallies behind him, it feels like Javi Gracia has, has got that magic touch at Watford as well. And he's getting the best out of players who sometimes would. Um, would have been a bit patchy. I think perhaps the best example is one who comes under the radar a bit is uh, is Jose Holobas, who plays at sort of left back, left yeah. wing back. Um, can get forward a lot. He's got um, got a shot on him. Um, gets in positions where he should be able to deliver threatening balls a lot. And previously, we've seen his temper get the better of him. His temperament, temperament, perhaps getting in the way of his performances. But this year, I think he he might even have the most assists in the in the Premier League. So. He's a real good case study, a player who's got a lot of talent but previously was letting other things get in the way. Whether under under Javi Gracia, he's actually starting to deliver. Um, so, yeah, plenty of players to look out for, I'm afraid, for you guys. The, uh, the ancient Greeks still got him li- some life in him yet, then? Absolutely, he has, yes. And uh, I, part I, I, of the problem, I feel, for Watford is great players. You've had a great turnover of talent come to Vicarage Road, but you haven't had a manager that's stuck. It looks like with Javi Gracia... You maybe have that man. It's the first time that you've started a season um, with a kind of set, assembled manager in place. What kind of style of football uh, does he employ? I mean, I think he, I think he's pragmatic. I think Watford tend to slow to start games quite slowly. I think uh, Ian Wright picked up on that on match of the day, and I think it's a fair point. They tend to feel their way into games and work out how they're going to how they're going to best um, best get a result. Last season, he was he was he inherited an absolute mess after the Marco Silva debacle. So difficult to judge on last year. But I think he was working towards this season last year, which is why the, some of the um, performance suffered. But there's been a lot of talk about him playing uh, Troy Deeney and Andre Gray up front, sort of going back to that um, out of favour, really, two strikers up front, which has probably been the biggest talking point. And it's worked really well. Troy comes a little bit deep sometimes. Andre Gray's... Um, they're um, uh, shifting defenders around, but he looks to be solid defensively, but looks to break very, very quickly. We've got two two wing backs in in Holobas and, and Daryl Yanmat, who's someone that most people will will know a fair bit about. So, yeah, we look to to be solid, um, and you've got people like Decore and, and Will Hughes in in the middle there who can who can form that that solid platform, do the hard work, and allow allow Pereira to to do his thing as well. So, we'll be we'll look to be solid, um, but also look to attack very very quickly um use the flanks get get bomb on with with those two with those two win backs and um yeah it's, it's been really exciting Watford scored lots of goals i think the interesting thing about fulham will be i think this will be in a way our biggest test because i think you guys at home will absolutely go for us and be looking to put us on the back foot um defensively and to be fair we haven't had that many questions asked of us defensively um the teams we've played have set up in a certain way where almost similar to us really sort of sounding each other out and we've managed to just about get the other upper hand we haven't battered anyone and we haven't been been battered ourselves but I think Fulham will, will pose a very very different challenge because as as we know Slav will want to want to go for it and I do have question marks over over us defensively I think Janmat and Holobas are both good going forward Cabaselli a Belgian international at the, at the heart of the in the centre-back paired up with another international Craig Cathcart all great players all have mistakes in them and and can all be made to look quite quite silly in the, with, with respect to those guys they they can make mistakes so it'll be fascinating to see with with all the 
that a the attacking intent and the attacking talent that Fulham Fulham have how we how we stand up to that. Indeed. So finally, Mike, uh, what is your prediction for the game on Saturday? Uh, who's going to get back to winning ways, or is it going to be back to drawing ways? I think. Do you know what? I'll take. I'll definitely take a draw at this stage. I think this is going to be a really, really tough game for for Watford. I'm sure Fulham will have this uh, circled in their diaries an opportunity to to, to pick up three points. Um, the, I think the crowd will will be the same, so they are behind them. Watford has a bit of more expectation on them now, and no matter how you how you dress it up, that does have an impact, I think, on the supporters and the way they approach the game. So Watford fans, I think the majority may well be will be hoping for an away win. But personally, I'd I'd take a score draw here. I think it'll be an entertaining game. I think people at home watching on Sky with their lunch will will enjoy it. I think it's going to be a cracking tool. Okay, well, thank you very much, Mike, from the Rookery M podcast for appearing on Fulhamish today. No worries at all. Enjoy the game and uh, look forward to seeing you at Vickery Drive. Welcome back to Fulhamish Extra, where we are talking all things Watford. Another little plug for our YouTube channel. If you haven't checked it out yet, there's loads of really good content on there. There's an on the road now up from David Preston's journey to Manchester City, where he got all the views at the Etihad and we really enjoyed ourselves despite the obviously negative result. On Saturday, we will be posting a review post game from the pub where Dom and myself will be talking all things Watford in the light of what's happened. So make sure you're subscribed to YouTube channel for all the best Fulham content on there. Just before we go into talking about two-fifth with David Lloyd, I just want to know what your starting lineups would be on, on Saturday. I'm going to work through all three of you. Drew, I'm going to start with you. Okay, so obviously bets in goal. I think, uh, as we said earlier, Brian or Cess left back, Mawson and Lamarchand, and then I would go for Fossi Mensa on the right. Um, I think Kearney's back, so I'd go uh, Angisa, Kearney, Seri, and and then I would go uh, keep the front three as it was. Dom? Uh, yeah, Betts in goal, right back, uh, Timothy Fosu Mensah, because there's a star man running down the right. It's a great uh, song. It is a great song. Uh, the two centre backs, same with Drew, I think Lamarchand. And uh, Mawson, although I do think Slav is going to play a doy still. Left back, I'd go for Joe Bryan, I think. I think just because I think his ball into the final box, ball. his final ball into the box is going to be better than Ryan Sessnion's. I'd have I'd have McDonald holding midfield with Ang- Angisa and Seri. Then I'd have even if TC's back. Yeah. I, I, I do think that. I think t- t- I think we're expecting too much from him, and I think TC can offer something else coming on. Because I, 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 I said this before, I think they're just they're too. They're, in the system, in the four-three-three, they're too similar. They're trying to do the same job. And I mean, I agree with you, but at the same time, we saw them use those different roles to such good effect against Burnley. Yeah, but Burnley look absolutely terrible. That is also true. So, <laughs> I think uh, for me, yeah, I, th- I wouldn't put Kearney back in, and then yeah, I'd put Vieto, Schürrle, and Mitrovic up front. Farrell, uh, Betts in goal. Um, then I, I'm kind of toying in between. Well, it's Mawson, and I'm toying in between Chambers. Le Marchand and Adoy. I can't really pick. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Chambers actually gets the gets the nod this time round. I would be tempted to put him in, um, and then Brian at left back and uh, Fosu Mensah um, at right back. Because I think his athleticism is is just better than Christie's, and definitely to a counter Pereira and um, ain't your Holabascal. And then perhaps um, <laughs> if. Um, if Kenny's fit, he's got to, he's got to go come back in. He's so integral to the team, yeah. and he has people. There were question marks about um, like whether his quality would actually show in the Premier League, and I think it has in the first first games that he was playing. And I think I would actually go for uh, for uh, Anguissa and Seri as well. But 
again, don't be surprised if McDonald still maintains his position, probably ahead of Sambo. But I think that overall quality in the Premier League, Sambo and, and um, Seri in the centre mids behind uh, Kenny. And then, yeah, Vieto, Scherler and, and Mitrovic. And I think that possibly starting Scherler right and Vieto left and seeing how that goes from there. I'm fancying us after this, you know. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. I think I think I'd start K Mac. I really do. I think I'd start K Mac ahead of Zambo, and I think he will start Seri and Kearney. And and while I understand that that's potentially not going to be the most sensible move given the situation, I think that having a sitting player is going to be so crucial for us in this game. Like you said, if we're going to exploit those wing backs and exploit those spaces, Dom, then I think what we need to do is have someone who's happy to just drop into the centre half. Well, that's what I. My reason for not wanting a Kearney in there is I think you need someone who's going to have the legs to go up and down, who's got that physicality and mobility in midfield. Because I, I just feel like playing Seri and Kearney when the two deep light holding players in Watford's team are Kapuwe and Abdullah Dekore, I think, I just feel like it will suit a midfield three as one creative, one sort of being the more physical box-to-box brute in there in, in Anguissa and McDonald holding it. Yeah. I just feel like against the team that Watford most, are most likely going to play, it'll be most effective. I think Kearney and Seri could both He'll not get caught out, but then too much will be pushed on Kevin McDonald. Fair enough. Well, there we are. So we are speaking now to David Lloyd, who runs that there's only one F in Fulham fanzine, and they're celebrating their 30th anniversary later this year. Sammy went to talk to him to find out what was it all about. Hello, I am Brad Hangeland, and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Well, hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here, uh, and got a very special interview now. Uh, I spoke to him last season. It's always great to have him on the podcast. The man, the brains behind two-fifth, there's only one F in Fulham, David Lloyd. Good to have you back on the podcast, David. How's it going? It's going well, thanks. Uh could do with a few more points on the board with our team but uh, let's see what goes yeah it was disappointing on on Saturday against City just I don't think anyone expected any points up there but I personally just felt a little bit gutted that after 90 seconds we found ourselves 1-0 down I just don't think Fulham gave a true account of themselves no I think um, I think some teams have gone up there and and will continue to go up there and get bashed more than 3-0 but whatever game plan was there as you rightly say, was uh, out the window after 90 seconds. And um, catch up against City isn't isn't the thing to do, is it? No, indeed not. Right, uh, David, uh, there's very important pressing subjects in town because uh, Two-Fifth is celebrating uh, a very important milestone uh, with a very important publication. You're bringing out a book. You've moved from uh, you've moved from magazines uh, into hardback. 300 pages celebrating 30 years of being the fans' view. Um, this is a project I know you've been working on for a long time, and you must be pretty proud to have it out there. It's not quite there yet, so uh, let, let's just pull the reins in at the moment. But yeah, if it if it comes off as I hope it should then it's something I uh, hope to be very, very proud of. And, um, you know, in essence, it's the story of, uh, of Fulham over the last 30 years, which is in itself, you know, it's a tale. Uh, we've been right down in the in the doldrums. And um, at the other end of the scale, we've uh, we've managed to get to European final. And let's not forget that playoff business at the, at the end of last year. That was a bit special, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it's been a hell of a 30 years and uh, Two-Fifth has been there as the fan's voice uh, for the whole of it. I know it's been blood, sweat and tears for yourself. So uh, just explain this book and what it is and what you hope to achieve uh, by bringing out this this kind of bumper edition. Um, well, well, first off, it's not a best of Two-Fifth. Um, clearly, I'd be daft not to use some of the classic interviews that have uh, gone in there. By the, using the word classic there, I mean what other people have provided for me. It's uh, some, some great stuff with, with Ray Lou, for example, who's very kindly also agreed to do the forward. Um, all sorts of characters. We've had all sorts of players, uh, good, bad and indifferent, and incredibly special moments. And uh, some of those... You can, special can be defined in various ways, I suppose, when you think of um, losing at home to Hayes and uh, even again under Louis' tenureship going to Chester and losing 7-0 when we were going to the playoffs in that division. Uh, to the other extent, uh, other uh, end of the scale with you know, Juventus games and um, Euro finals and, and this and that. It, the story in itself has always been there. So, you know, you've only got to be a Fulham fan and particularly a long-in-the-tooth Fulham fan to have experienced all of that. So that's the gold. That, that's the great stuff. My interpretation of the whole thing is purely because luck or otherwise, by luck or otherwise, I've, I've been there. Um, I, when when times are really tough, I was on the supporters club and I was in a position of, I think, might have been called press secretary or something. And in fact, <laughs> all that entailed was uh, letting the local paper knew when we the supporters club were holding a disco, but in, instead it all went haywire when, when the club did a deal with the property developers that owned the ground. And, uh, yeah, boy, was that they were really busy times. So, in essence, I feel like it appeals to, to both sides uh, of the Fulham fan base. Uh, one that might be listening that uh, has been a Fulham fan for you know most of that time who might want to reminisce of some of the, the darker days, the rise through our fire, the Premier League years uh, and all of that. But also I believe this appeals to, to a younger fan who might only know Fulham for, for the past five to ten years. And it's a history, an education, not from a journalist or someone that's worked for the club or played for the club, but through the eyes of fans who, who have experienced um, the incredible highs and the desperate lows. Uh, yeah, I picked up on a few things there. Number, number one, you said the word uh, sides, in other words, the sides of the fan base. Um, one thing I've been trying not to have throughout all of this is sides, and I'm talking really between fans and, and club. Um, it, it's, a lot of it is just reportage, but I've tried to give it um, a light feel, if that's the right way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 got to be readable. I mean, who wants to know the intricacies of some of the legal stuff that was going on at the time? Well, well maybe one or two do, um, but it's not, in essence, that. It's just a, an ordinary punter's view of what has been extraordinary times. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy that, uh, although I was originally... In my youth, I used to turn up at the Putney end. I'm really now just a Hammersmith ender who happens to have been involved with the fanzine. Um, and, of course, that's given me privileges. Of course it has. I've chased and, and managed to collar quite a few of the um, senior uh, and less so personnel at the club and players and, and had all sorts of interviews with them. So, you know, those interviews, especially when you look back at them now, they, they tell a tale of what happened at the time. 
Um, but I've had some crackers just lately. I've managed, you know, what a privilege it was to go out to interview Jean Tigana in France. Yeah. Um, at his invitation, and um, we just got on famously, and that's uh, you know just just some brilliant stuff. Breda Hangland was another one who's who's come forward just recently, and um, if I can remember his line, he ends up by saying, "I ended up something along the lines of I ended up at Fulham quite by accident. It was a random thing, um, but now I'm intrinsically linked with the club for life. You know, it's just." Um, Nobody can write that sort of stuff. It's not a PR exercise. Most people that have been through the Fulham doors get Fulham. Yeah. And there, and without without question, there's 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 something special about Fulham Football Club, and I'm hoping that that will come out in the book as well. So there's been plenty uh, of hype, plenty of talk uh, around the book and the uh, the Fulham Supporters Trust uh, have been kind enough to even put a book launch event for you on uh, in November. Uh, from what I've heard on the rumour mill, there's going to be uh, a couple of well-known Fulham names there. I saw uh, our, our friend of the pod, Dean Jones, is going to be down there. Uh, Jack's made from Bleacher Report. Um, it seems to have been so well received by, by all facets of the club. Well... I've got to say here and now that I've been humbled by it all. Uh, that, that's not just something glib I'm, I'm trotting out. It's been extraordinary. Uh, yeah, the goodwill that's come, and that's including the thing I've just mentioned, John Tigana. Um, you know, so so right across the board, I've, I can't believe the uh, goodwill that's come my way. And for the Fulham Supporters Trust to have then jumped on board and, and helped to push it has been in like an extra element. So it's all very well saying that you know, you're, you're the head honcho when you're or a one-man band when you're putting a fanzine together. Well, sometimes it might appear like that. And, you know, when it, when I'm working at 2 o'clock in the morning just to get something done, it isn't that in reality. It's it's a massive, massive team effort. And, again, that, that, that's something I hope that will come out because this book, let me say, is not a big I am. That, that, anybody that knows me, I hope, would realise that's not, a, not the way I do things anyway. But yeah. it's a reflection of... In those early days when we were campaigning and doing all sorts just to save the club, there were hundreds of people at it, giving untold hours to Fulham Football Club. And, we, and it's quite probable, and I think it's, in fact, you can go very close to but saying it's a certainty that had it not been for the efforts of those people back then, there wouldn't have been a Fulham Football Club here and now. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, that's, that's written within the pages. But it's, it's just a journey, you know, uh, it's a roller coaster journey. Um, what the fans have been through, uh, a, a look at and, and an acknowledgement of what the team's been through. And you can see in a graph that I hope will come out on the uh, on the side of the book that um, the roller coaster has been here, there and everywhere. In other words, we've filled 91 out of the 92 places yeah. in the Football League structure. And if that isn't a story in itself, then I don't know what is. No, exactly. And look, well, two fifth has been been a bastion, and Fulhamish has been going for around two years. So, how on earth you've managed to keep going for for thirty years um, is beyond me, and an absolute credit to you, David. So, um, how can how can people who aren't aware of the book at the moment uh, purchase this? Maybe purchase it for a friend, or purchase it for themselves, uh, should they want to. Well, I know you guys are helping out again, so there's a massive thank you. Um, all I can say is if they want uh, a quick look at some details, then just have a quick look at uh, www.25th.co.uk or indeed the those, uh, I can say it, I've only been doing it for 30 years. There's only one F in Fulham, yeah. the Facebook page. Hmm. Uh, and, and of course, you can get details on the Fulham Supporters Trust page as well. So 
you know, it's out there. Yeah, and if you want to uh, order one of these books, you can actually order it on the Fulhamish website. If you just head to fulhamish.co.uk forward slash shop, uh, you'll be able to pre-order the book, uh, pay for it online using your your debit card, credit card, whatever you like. Uh, And then when the book is released uh, in November, I believe it is, David? Yes, second week of November. Um, I'd do it before, but it's, it'll be at the printers until then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's a, a special early bird rate at the moment of twenty nine ninety five plus postage and packaging, uh, depending where you live in the world. So it is a fantastic book. It's an amazing cause. And uh, David, um, you've been at the heart and soul of it for, for 30 years and uh, huge kudos to you. I can't wait uh, to get myself a copy personally. Uh, David, uh, hopes for the rest of the season, just back onto the football for a second. Uh, I think we've got the makings of a very, a very good side. Yeah. Um, now, the first thing has got to be just to survive. I mean, that's the first thing. We've, we've got up into the Premier League, and I know we're talking pounds, shillings and pence here, but I think we've got, we'll have to be satisfied as fans if we just uh, stay above those relegation places. But I think we've got the setup to do that. It's a question now of getting that defence sorted, um, bedding in those players, which you know one or two of them seem to have done reasonably well so far but to just get that magnificent team spirit and what have you that we had last year uh, because that togetherness really got us to those marvellous days in that you know the playoff latter end of the playoffs where I don't know I don't know about you guys but my emotions were just going (laughs) nuts at that point Um, I felt like a you know (laughs) I don't know I didn't feel my age particularly I was looking around and just seeing the smiles of these Guys and girls that were normally well behaved and sane, just going absolutely loopy, and um, isn't that what football's about? If, if we if we can get anything like that sort of stability in our setup, the players I think are good enough, and the manager's good enough. David, uh, always a, a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, all the best with the book, and all the best with the event as well. I'm really grateful. Thanks ever so much. Well, thank you to David Lloyd for coming on there. Thank you also to Mike of the From the Rookery End podcast for talking to us from the opposition camp earlier. What was left for me to do is say thank you to Farrell Monk. Gracias. Thank you to Drew Heatley. Thank you very much. And thank you to Tom Betts. That's right. We'll see you on Saturday at The Cottage. Please make sure that you're subscribed on YouTube where we'll be releasing, as we said earlier, all the best Fulhamish content on video platforms. So if you're not subscribed, you're missing out. My name has been Jack Collins. This has been Fulhamish Extra. Thank you for listening. You whites. Lighters. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. 
With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.